Our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 8. This is found on page 31 in the Pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one as a gift from us or to give away if you know someone that needs one. So Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 8. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings and in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the, <clears throat> pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loves Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Scott. Good morning and welcome uh, to Brookside Campus of Christ Community. My name is Bill Gorman. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really thankful uh, that you've come this morning to celebrate with us and be a part of uh, our worship service this morning, especially if you are newer to Christ Community or even just newer to church or returning to church after a long time. I know it's not always an easy thing to uh, step into a church for the first time and all that's, that that entails. And so um, thank you for doing that this morning. Hopefully you felt warmly welcomed here and uh, we're delighted to have you here um, as, as part of our service this morning. Um, as we prepare to look into the text of Scripture that Scott read for us and continuing our sermon series on vices and virtues, I wanted to just pause at the beginning to pray and to ask for God to help us uh, to learn to understand what He would be uh, wanting to do in and through us uh, through His Word and Spirit this morning. So let's do that, and then we'll take a closer look at this passage. In Jesus' name, we pray this morning, Lord, that you would come and be at work in ways that only you can, that you would touch us, that you would reveal uh, to us things that maybe uh, we aren't even aware uh, that we are struggling with or that we need help with, that we need your help with. Would you be at work this morning in ways that only you can? In Jesus' name, amen. One of my most vivid memories of being deeply envious came my freshman year of college, and we were perhaps only maybe six weeks into the, the fall semester, that first year of college, and had just taken an incredibly difficult test in an introduction to theology class. And me and my two closest friends, Tim and John, had been the top students in that class. But a couple of days after the test and we were in class and the professor said it, it turned out that the test had been a little too difficult and most of the class had done very, very poorly. And the professor just sort of declared, hey, this is my fault. I made the test too hard or I hadn't taught the material well enough. This is on me. Um, we're just going to scrap that test completely. And then we're going to review, go back over some of that content and I'll write a, a new exam to give later on. However, if you had received an A on that first really difficult exam, 
then you didn't have to take the test over. You could just keep your A if you had received one. But there were only three or four people in this large class who had received an A. And I wasn't one of them. And, and that was hard enough to swallow in itself. I was so desperately wanted to do well. And it was my freshman year. And but when I found out that Tim and John had both received A's and didn't have to retake the exam, I was deeply envious. Because I thought, hey, I'm just as smart as they are. I worked as hard as they had. How did they get the grade? And I didn't. And though they probably never knew it at the time, th that moment more than any other in our friendship, and, and, and I'm still really close to both of those guys all this time later, that moment was probably the thing that would have come closest in those early days of our friendship of, of wrecking it or shaking the, the foundation of it. Because I wasn't just upset with the situation. I wasn't just angry with life in that moment. Part of me was angry with them. I was bitter because they had it better. Bitter at them. As novelist Joseph Heller put it, there is no disappointment so numbing as someone no better than you achieving more. There is no disappointment so numbing as someone no better than you achieving more. That is a statement born out of envy. And we've all had these moments, haven't we? They seem so small. They, they often come when we're not looking for them. Talking with, with colleagues over happy hour or sharing updates about your kids with family at a family reunion or reading your overachieving cousin's Christmas letter or simply opening Facebook or Instagram and seeing just a feed full of someone who seems to be no better than you, achieving so much more, and you're bitter, not just at life, but toward them. You actually begin to hate a little bit. And that, my friends, is the, the essence of envy. Because envy is it's different than covetousness, which is simply wanting what others have. And it's also different from jealousy. And sometimes we sort of use those terms synonymously, covetousness, envy, jealousy. But covetousness is just simply wanting what someone else has. Jealousy is feeling like something that is yours is being taken away. You're, you're jealous for what you already have. You covet what you don't have. Envy, though, is the vice that says, I want what you have, and I would be glad if it was taken away from you. And I'm, I actually hate you a little bit for having it. The great scholastic theologian Thomas Aquinas put it this way. He says, envy is a special sort of sorrow over another's goods. That someone else's success, someone else's good brings you sorrow. So envy isn't just wanting what someone else has. It's always more personal than that. It's being angry and bitter at them for having it and hoping that it'll be taken away. Because as we will see as we go along here, envy always involves comparison. So it's not just enough for you to obtain what your peer has. They need to be taken down a notch so that you can be feeling superior to them. And culturally, 
uh, envy is one of the vices that we all hate. As writer Joseph Epstein pointed out, of all the deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. Only envy is no fun at all. When you think about some of the other vices that we're going to look at, lust, gluttony, I mean, maybe they're fun in the moment. Ultimately, we're going to argue they lead to ruin, but maybe in the moment there's a some fun. But envy is no fun at all. It's always miserable, first for the envier and then for everyone around them. So what is the antidote to envy? How can we escape the misery that it invariably brings to us and to those we love or once loved because envy always over time destroys love? Well, that's what we want to look at this morning in a little bit more depth as we continue in our series that we've just begun on vices and virtues. And we began that series last week by pointing out that whether we realize it or not, or whether we would say it this way, that we all long for a world full of virtuous people, people who have been formed and have habits of of goodness and compassion, selflessness and diligence and kindness and sacrifice and self-control, courage, faith, hope, love. Again, maybe you wouldn't have said it quite that way, but that's a description of a virtuous person. We all long for a world full of those kinds of people, right? Because those kinds of people make the best friends, the best spouses and co-workers and parents, the best children, the best police officers and doctors and nurses and engineers. Virtuous people, are the best kind of people to be around to do life with. But left to ourself, we are all inclined to vice rather than to virtue. It takes no work to become a person who has vices. No effort at all. We just slide into that. And a vice is a pattern, a habit that becomes who we are. This is how a vice is different from just a sin or how virtue is different from from just an, an act of goodness. Vice and virtue both signal that it's a, it's a pattern, it's becoming who you are, a way of living, a habit. Habits that will bring life to us and to others or will ruin us and others. And this morning, as we turn to Genesis chapter 37, we see just that. We see ruin wrought by envy and also life given through kindness. So I invite you to pick up one of the Pew Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 37 or navigate there on phone if you have a Bible app and look at this text of Genesis chapter 37. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible. It gives us the foundation for the whole story that God is writing and telling in history. Um, It talks about the creation of the world and His calling of a people which He will use to extend His blessing and favor and goodness to the whole world and all the peoples of the world. And in Genesis chapter 30, we're introduced to the story of a man named Joseph. This is not Joseph of, of Mary and Joseph, the Christmas story, but Joseph, the son of Jacob, who's also called Israel in this text. The same person, Jacob and Israel just two different names. And Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, this person that God had called and begun to build a people with. He had made this promise, this covenant with Abraham. And Abraham had a son, Isaac. 
And Isaac had two sons. One of them was Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And one of them was Joseph. And the thread that runs all throughout Joseph's story is the thread, this theme of envy. And what we see right from the beginning of the story is that envy begins with comparison. Envy always begins with comparison. We see this in verses 3 and 4 in Genesis chapter 37. It says, now Israel, that's Jacob, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. And we could stop right there and say, this is not a great parenting strategy, but this isn't a message on parenting. It's a message on envy, so we'll just leave that to one side. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him, loved Joseph more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Again, Jacob maybe isn't taking the wisest parenting strategy in favoring Joseph, but what you notice how the envy comes out is in the comparison. It wasn't just that the brothers saw that their father loved Joseph. It was that they saw that their father loved him more than, more than them. And their comparison of, their, of themselves to Joseph leads them to hate him. And that's what envy does. It leads us to hate people that we once loved. Envy is the death of love. It replaces love with hate. And it's rooted in comparison. It's feeling bitter when others have it better, as philosopher Rebecca DeYoung puts it. And it's not just that Joseph is loved more by his father, though that, that is true, the text tells us that. But as we look all throughout Joseph's story, it becomes clear that Joseph just genuinely seems to be a better human being than the other 11 sons. I think Jacob recognized that, and, and the brothers recognize it too, and they hate him for it. As Rebecca DeYoung explains, she says, the envious person resents another person's good gifts because they are superior to his or her own it's not just that the other person is better, it's that by comparison, their superiority makes you feel your own lack, your own inferiority more acutely. And that's, again, the key difference between envy and covetousness. You can covet something without feeling inferior or hating the person who has what you want. I, I could want a Tesla sedan in an unhealthy way. That's covetousness. But it becomes envy when I hate my neighbor who has one because it makes me feel inferior to them that I don't have one. It's not simply enough that I get one too, but that it needs to be nicer than theirs. You see, envy always begins with comparison. So the question then becomes, who are you comparing yourself to? Who are you comparing yourself to? Think about that for a moment. Who in life are you comparing yourself to most often? And let me give you a hint in the midst of this. It's probably not someone who is way better than you or way more talented you than you or lives way across the country. It's probably someone really close. It's probably someone that you're friends with on social media or that you see in the office, or maybe even in your own family, maybe a brother or a sister, a sibling. 
Again, Rebecca DeYoung points out that enviers don't usually envy those who are far removed from their lives and lifestyles or who are vastly more talented or successful than they are. They tend to envy people to whom they might actually be compared unfavorably. That is those who are just like them, only a little better. You see, as a pastor, I'm, I'm far more likely to envy one of our other campus pastors than I am to envy someone like Tim Keller or John Piper. And this is why social media, for all the good it can and does do, can be so dangerous to our souls when it, when it comes to envy because it presents us with a constant flow of people who are near enough to actually compare ourselves with. You see, social media can easily be gasoline on the fires of both envy and vainglory, which we will look at next week. So who are you comparing yourself to? Because envy begins with comparison, but it's rooted in identity. It begins with comparison, but it's rooted in identity, and it flourishes when it's connected to who we perceive ourselves to be and how we define ourselves. And we begin to see some hints of this in, in verses 5 through 11 of Genesis chapter 37 as Joseph's story continues. It says, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, there were binding, we were binding sheaves in a field, and behold, my sheaf rose up and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then Joseph has another dream. and was told to his brothers, And behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And the text says here, and the brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. If you do study and work on this, you discover the, the best Hebrew lexicons would argue that that word translated jealousy there really should be translated envy. That's what's on display. Envy is always rooted in identity, and it tends to be personal. We covet things, but we envy people. We covet things, but we envy people. I covet my neighbor's car. I envy my neighbor. That's because envy always has to usually do with who we want to be. See, Joseph's brothers don't just want the things that Joseph has. They want to be what Joseph is. And, and if they can't be, they want him destroyed. So who do you want to be? Who are you striving to be? What do you, who do you identify with? Who do you want to be? Who are you trying to be? Think about in my work in particular, I want to be a smart, insightful, gifted communicator, great leader. And that's why even all the way back in college with those aspirations, having my, my buddies do better on a test or, or preach a better sermon in chapel bothered me so deeply because it went to the core of, of who I wanted to be. I didn't envy the soccer players. I wasn't any good at soccer. I didn't do sports. I had no problem with the soccer. I didn't envy them. But the other theological students, 
Oh, I wanted to be like. In the same way, I'm much more likely today in my work to be envious of, of Paul or Anthony, our other pastors who preach on a regular basis, than I am of, of John or Anna Lynn who leads our children's ministry or our worship. Because I have no aspirations or even the, the basic skill set to be a great musician or to, to be a great children's educator. It's easy for me to marvel in it and rejoice in their successes in their fields where they're really amazing. They don't threaten me or my position at all. But the people who do the same kind of thing, there's always the potential for that envy to creep in. And are they better than me? Are they doing a better job than I am? So envy is born of comparison. It's rooted in identity And it invariably takes you where you don't want to go. It takes you where you don't want to go. We see this in verses 12 through 36 of Genesis 37 as Joseph's story continues. His brothers hated him so much because of their envy of who he was and what he had. And, And in that envy, it begins to boil and boil and boil and the hatred begins to boil over. And perhaps for a long time, it only manifested itself more or less in passive aggressive ways. But what we find in verse 18 of Genesis 37 is that any passivity related to the aggression has disappeared and we are just left with open, raw aggression. Look at verse 18. Then they saw him, Joseph, from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what becomes of his dreams. Envy leads them to the point of attempting to commit murder. Now one of Joseph's older brothers in this moment, Reuben, he sort of intervenes on Joseph's behalf and convinces his brothers not to kill him right off. We'll just throw him in the pit and and then we'll figure out what to do with him. And Reuben, the text tells us, says that he plans to come back later on and rescue him out. We just rough him up a little bit. That's maybe enough. But somehow Reuben is, is pulled away. And while Reuben is away, Joseph is drawn up out of the pit and sold into slavery. You see, the seeds of envy sown for all those years are now blooming and bearing this bitter, ugly fruit of hatred and murder and lies and slavery. In these lists of the, the capital vices or the seven deadly sins, you often wonder, well, why isn't murder is not one of them? Well, it's because murder is always the result of one of those things, of envy. No one just walks out and murders people. There's other things that have been sown for a long time before that. Not only does this end up badly for Joseph, it, it devastates his father. The brothers lie. They, they tell Joseph's father, their father, that Joseph has been eaten by a wild animal. They bring the coat. They tear it all up. They, they splash goat's blood on it. And they say, look, what's happened to Joseph? They ruin Joseph's life. They ruin his father. Envy always takes you to a place you don't want to go. It takes us to the point of perhaps destroying someone else's life. But even if we don't destroy someone else's life, left unchecked, envy will always destroy our own life. And it ultimately can bring us to the place 
of being angry with and blaming God. You see, when envy begins to take root in us over a long time, we begin to say or think things like this, God, why have you made me inferior? God, how could you give someone like that more ability or skill than me? God, how could you let someone so inferior to me have so much more success than me? God, how could you let someone who hasn't worked nearly as hard as I have enjoy such a better life than me? The great preacher James Montgomery Boyce captures this so well as he writes about Joseph's story. He says, envy is terribly destructive. The chief reason is that envy is an angry resistance to God's decrees. Consequently, is ultimately resentment of God and hatred of him. This is the essential issue in the matter of Joseph's dreams. Ultimately, God is responsible for circumstances, so the brother's envy was essentially a resentment of what God had done and was doing. Envy is the death of love. It destroys our sense of self-worth. It destroys our love of others, and it can destroy our very love for God himself, who we ultimately hold responsible for our lot in life that seems so unfair to us. Rebecca DeYoung, in her conversation on envy, highlights what an ancient confession manual, a pastoral book, revealed about how envy shows up in our lives. And it's worth sharing with you at length. You can follow along on the screen. She writes, according to one confessional manual, envy can show itself in the following ways. See if these, do you feel these in your your life? Do you see it going where it's taking you? Feeling offended at the talents, successes, or good fortune of others. Selfishness or unnecessary rivalry and competition. Pleasure at another's difficulties or distress. Ill will. Reading false motives into, another into others' behavior. Belittling others. False accusations. Backbiting. That's saying something bad even if true behind another's back. Slander. Saying something bad even if true and open about someone. Initiation, collection, or retelling of gossip, arousing, fostering, or organizing antagonism against others, scorn of others' abilities or failures, teasing or bullying, ridicule of persons, institutions, or ideals, and prejudice against those we consider inferior or who consider us inferior or who seem to threaten our security or position. Wow, I mean, talk about taking you where you don't want to go. All of those things can manifest out of envy. So how do we escape this destructive path on which envy will take us? The vice of envy can only be killed with the virtue of kindness. And we see this in the conclusion of Joseph's story. Many chapters later, in Genesis chapter 50, a lot has happened over the, all that time. And Joseph's brothers, who had sold him into slavery, had long probably considered him dead. Joseph thought he would never see his family again. He ends up as a slave in Egypt, but God gives him success over and over and over again, even despite being falsely accused, wrongly imprisoned during his time in Egypt. God still grants Joseph incredible success and favor time and again. And Joseph, because of his God-given abilities with dreams, is eventually appointed to second in command over all of Egypt. 
And in this great turn in the story, it is those things that, that Joseph's brothers so envied and hated about him that become the means of their own rescue and survival. For when famine comes over the land, Joseph and the Egyptians have food. Joseph had interpreted a dream for Pharaoh, the Egyptian ruler, that predicted a food shortage that was going to be coming in the future, and they've been able to prepare and stockpile food. And now all the entire region is coming to Egypt to buy food, including Joseph's family. And not only does Joseph feed his family, he shows them incredible kindness and generosity to his brothers, even though they had done so much evil and wrong to him. But the brothers are worried. They're afraid that Joseph is only treating them with kindness because their father is still alive. And in Genesis chapter 50, his father passes away. When their father dies, they're terrified that Joseph will now exact his revenge. But instead, Joseph continues to show incredible kindness. Listen to these verses from Genesis chapter 50. His brothers came to him and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Basically, please don't kill us. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph demonstrates incredible kindness to them. Often I think we can use kindness as, as a mere synonym for, for politeness or, or niceness. But kindness is so much more than that. Jerry Bridges captures this well. says, kindness is a sincere desire for happiness of others. Goodness is the activity calculated to advance that happiness. It's th this kindness is a desire that others would be, would be happy and cared for. And there are two steps that we must take in this quest to develop a habit of virtue of kindness. And first, we have to embrace God's kindness towards us as enough. Give thanks to God for who he has made you to be. And stop comparing yourself to others. Know who you are. Regularly give thanks to God for all that he has given to you. And regularly give thanks to God and rejoice with what he has given to others. The Bible calls us, Paul, in the book of Romans, to rejoice with those who rejoice. You see, gratitude and envy cannot coexist together in the same person over time. But gratitude and kindness thrive together, feed on one another, multiply. So we must receive God's kindness, embrace God's kindness towards us as enough. And then we must extend God's kindness toward others. You have to kill envy with kindness, lest envy kill love. What's the best way to do this? Well, it's hard to just conjure up warm feelings towards someone you don't like and who you're envious of, right? That's not the answer to just try to feel feelings of warmth and kindness towards someone. We saw this last week. 
Anthony walked us through this, that, that developing virtue isn't a matter of trying harder. That's not the answer. It's a matter of training harder, of training better that makes the difference. So how do we train ourselves for kindness? Well, the answer is really pretty simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And that is to embrace the discipline of service, of serving others with gratitude. Learn to constantly ask the questions. Whenever you walk into a room, a meeting at work, when you walk into church on Sunday, to ask two questions. What needs to be done? And how can I help? What needs to be done and how can I help? Those are the questions of the discipline of service. That if you are constantly, wherever you're asking, hey, you have your eyes open for what needs to be done here, and then how can I help? You will begin to develop a pattern of kindness, of service, of others-focusedness. What needs to be done and how can I help? Make it your goal to help your, your rival succeed. The coworker who you're envious of, maybe try to help them always. Maybe, perhaps even, write them a note of encouragement. Articulate to them the gratitude for the ways that, that they've been gifted and are using those gifts. Gratitude and service erode envy. You see, when the good news of the gospel... That is the good news that we are so desperately sinful that Jesus had to die. The God of the universe had to die in order to rescue us, but that we are so loved by Jesus that that he was glad to die for us. When that good news begins to take root into our lives, it erodes any foundation for envy in our lives. Because you see, the gospel, it removes all comparison. It helps us to, to realize that that I am, I'm the worst of all sinners. There's no one I can compare myself to. I'm no better than anyone else. And it also infuses us with a new sense of identity. I'm the adopted son, the adopted daughter of the God of the universe who loves me, who thinks the world of me, who made me, who's pleased with me, who treasures me, who died for me, he loved me so much. You see, when comparison is gone, And our identity is secure. Envy withers and kindness flourishes and it can't help but flow from us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you make me, would you make us as your church so secure in your love, in your redemption, in your care for us would you make that so, so palpable, so real for us as your people? We wouldn't have to compare ourselves, that we would be content. Forgive us for when we envy others, for when we hate others, for the good things that you've given to them. Heal us, make us a virtuous people who are full of kindness, who love to serve. In Jesus' name. Amen.